The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the fifth episode of the Keeper Cut podcast. This is Chad Young, joined as always by Pete Ball. We are here to talk to you about your keeper leagues, your keeper decisions, your keeper drafts, your keeper auctions, anything where you're making keeper decisions, as well as your auto new leagues. You can subscribe to the show anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, and you can follow us on Twitter at Keep or Cut. That's cut with a K. You can also follow us individually. Pete can be found at Pete B Baseball. You can find me at Chad Young. Pete, how you doing? I'm doing all right, Chad. I'm doing all right. I'm ready to get deep in this episode. Ready to get deep. You just started a draft, right? So you're you're early in a draft right now, live. And now we're trying to get deep into a draft. It is, yeah. My mind's all over the place. That's right. Yeah. I'm in I'm in the middle of my TGFBI draft. I was mentioning that before, and we're at round like 17. So in a 15 teamer, we're not quite as deep as we're going to be talking today. But this is good timing for me to be thinking about the future <laughs> as I come up on my later TGFBI draft picks. But today we're actually going to focus less on those redraft leagues like TGFBI and on, of course, keeper leagues. And so what we're going to look at today is guys who are interesting long-term pickups late in drafts. And so we've been sort of going through this process where we started with our top 10s a couple weeks ago. Last week, we talked about tier jumpers, guys who are in one tier this year, but could be in a higher tier next year, and therefore bring additional value as a keeper. We're going even deeper today. We're going down to guys who you can get after the 300th pick, ADP, worse than, lower than, higher than. I, I don't. I never know what the right phrasing on this is. They're, they're, the number on their ADP is a bigger number than 300. It is <laughs> 350, 400, something like that. But who who you might be able to keep. One of the things that people forget is that late in drafts, you can find those guys who might make a big difference in the future. We're going to look at today are guys not who are necessarily going to win you your league when you draft them late this year, but especially in those keeper leagues where there's a cost associated with keepers, where you have to give up the same pick you used last year, round high or something like that. Guys who will potentially be keepers and make a difference in your team next year as well. Is that something you're always looking to do late in drafts, Pete? Keeper leagues, is your focus late? Where can I find my next keeper? Yeah, it absolutely is, Chad. And regardless kind of of the setting, because, you know, as we talked about in the past, like in certain keeper leagues, there's prices attached. And when I say prices attached, that means, you know, if you take you know, my first pick here, who's ADP 400, 
well, that means next year you're only giving up a super, super late pick in order to keep that player. Even in shallower leagues, in, in a league I'm in, we're in our 15th year, one of the owners is a big Yankee fan, and he took Glaber Torres in the very last round of a 16-team draft a few years ago, and he held on to him, and sure enough, Glaber broke out, and now he's a really great player, and we only keep three, but he's so good that he's still keeping him, and he spent absolutely nothing to get him. So I'm always looking ahead on that, yeah. We're also going to talk a little bit about the the dollar days in auctions, those last guys you can pick up cheap. Pete's going to talk through some of his late ADP potential keepers. I've got some examples of guys who are going for less than $3 in auto new auctions right now. These are guys you can pick up in that end game who I think next year you'll be very happy to still have on your roster at less than $5. And Chad, you know I need that badly because I'm heading into our auction with 22 bucks and 11 spots to fill with absolutely no starting pitchers and an ace who's James Faxton. So if anybody needs today's episode, it's uh, one of the hosts here. <laughs> it'll, it'll put you in a good position, hopefully. <laughs> the, the problem, of course, is now I'm telling you all the guys I want to pick up late in that <laughs> draft. Now you know to target them. So we'll have to see what happens. But... Let's jump in. We're going we're gonna to go through four spots here. We're going to look at an infielder, an outfielder, a starting pitcher, and a relief pitcher. Let's start off on the infield. So, Pete, after that 20th round in a 15-teamer, who are you looking at that you can pick up and drop into your infield as a keeper? So we looked at the ADP on the NFBC, and I, I filtered mine to be since February 1st. The first name that came up for me was Brendan Rodgers of the Rockies. Um, but Brendan Rodgers is, is having a nice spring so far reminded me of how awesome of a prospect he was, right? I mean, this is a guy who was the third overall pick in the 2015 draft. He's still just 24 years old, but he still kind of profiles that post-hype sleeper, and that's why he's going so late, because his limited MLB experience has been a disaster. And you combine that with the shoulder issues that he's had, both his 2019 and his 2020 were cut short due to shoulder injuries with very limited MLB experience. The Ks are bad, but he just had a 19% K percentage through 1,684 minor league plate appearances. So when you look at the K percentage, like, yes, he's he got blown away with a bum shoulder in his first major league experience, but he's not a heavy strikeout guy. He spent time at AAA in both 18 and 19, totaling 56 games played, so not that many. But in those 56 game played, just 212 at-bats. Again, this is AAA between 2018 and 2019. Nine homers, a 311 batting average, and 881 OPS. That's just the two years before last season. He's hit at every level throughout the minors. MLB experience has definitely been inconsistent. But like I said, the shoulder injuries should be behind him now. His second one was considered minor. The first shoulder injury in 2018, that needed shoulder surgery, and people were very concerned about Brendan Rodgers. But the one next year, apparently he's fully healthy now. And Chad, get this, right? He stated in spring training, he wants to steal 20 bases this year. He wants it. So we're talking about ADP 400, a guy who, who should get the playing time, stealing 20 bases with decent power, awesome pedigree, still just 24 years old. So far this spring to kind of cap him off here, three for nine with a homer. Actually, he might be three for 10 now after last night. I have to go back and look. But three for nine, he's got a home run. And he does have one caught ceiling. So at least he's tried, right? A lot of stolen bases just come from at least intent. he's tried yeah. yes he's trying he's trying what you're getting at with rogers as i look at this is he's got 102 major league plate appearances you're basically saying just throw those out like this guy's got a great track record in the minors he's got the pedigree if he didn't have those if if he was still coming off of his 2019 AAA experience and just that major league that cup of coffee two cups of coffee had never happened 
how differently would he be viewed? Oh, yeah, he'd be tremendously differently viewed. I mean, think about it. if Joe Adele got no experience. He just homered last night, right? If Joe Adele didn't go through what he went through last year, he's he's going much higher in drafts this year. I mean, it's just the reality. It's the, the post-hype aspect. But I didn't go with a player like Joe Adele because I feel like there's still too much hype that in a real keeper league, these ADPs wouldn't hold up. But I think in a lot of our listeners' keeper leagues, when they go into the draft, Brendan Rodgers, he's not going to be in a lot of people's radars. But you're talking about the starting second baseman for the Colorado Rockies, Coors, who has that kind of pedigree, still that young, feels healthy, wants to steal 20 bases, hits for power. I mean, that just feels like a slam dunk, somebody with real upside, not only to help you this season, but to end up being a keeper who, if it costs you anything to keep players, is not going to cost you anything. Is he going to get that real chance? The big questions with the Rockies is always like, are they going to let their young guys play? Or are they going to go sign some 35-year-old who was good in 2014 to, to take those plate appearances away? Do you think he's going to get a real shot this year? Well, fortunately, I think my Red Sox did a nice job of sucking up all the potential middle infielders with Kika Hernandez, Marwin Gonzalez, Danny Santana. So they're basically forcing the Rockies to commit to their young guys. Uh, to answer your question, no, I never feel confident that the Rockies are going to do the right thing and play the young guys, especially when I look at roster resource and I see that they have Garrett Hampson in a platoon for an outfield position. And that concerns me because I actually really like Hampson and all it takes is a couple of good weeks and Rogers, you know, maybe the shoulder acts up or something and forget about him. When you're dealing with this late of ADPs, all these players are going to have an issue like that, that you're going to be like, well, is the play time there? Is he healthy? Is he striking out too much? With Rodgers, <laughs> it's all three of those things, but the upside is very, very high. The, the upside is huge, right? And when I look at Rodgers, I mean, I mentioned before, I'm in my TGFBI draft right now. That is a redraft. We are in the 17th round on pick 252. Rodgers is, has not gone and probably won't for a while in that one. If this were a keeper, like I'm looking at some of the names that have gone recently in this draft. In the last just couple rounds of this draft, David Fletcher as a middle infielder went, Ryan McMahon, his teammate in Colorado, Jonathan VR just went. I think I would take Rodgers over those guys around this 250, 260, maybe, maybe a little bit later on 270 range, just because if he gets the playing time, he can do as much damage as any of them. Those guys all have playing time concerns as much as he does and they don't have the upside or the keeper value like maybe mcmahon does maybe that's not fair to mcmahon but like david fletcher and jonathan vr like they're not guys that i'm looking to keep next year they're not the guys that are gonna make the difference rogers could be a difference maker and so i think in your keeper drafts there's nothing wrong with grabbing him in that 250 to 270 range let alone if you can, you know, if his ADP is over 400 and you can wait till 350 and take him, that's huge. That's huge. In in auto new leagues, he is going a little bit more expensive recently. His last 10 ads across all formats have been $5.10. I, I should probably acknowledge that I am contributing to that price. <laughs> I had a, an auction recently where I paid $10 for him. One of the unique things with auction drafts is that you hit a point where if you've got money to spend, you can spend it and and there's less damage to be done by overspending late in a draft if you've got money available. In that auto new auction, it's one I do with a co-manager. My co-manager and I had a decent amount of money left. And we looked at Rogers and said, is $10 what he's worth this year? I don't know. But is he going to be worth 12 next year? He might. He really might. And so it was a worthwhile gamble for us to just see what we get from him, see if he really does get that full-time run. 
And so he's going for a little bit more in those auto new leagues. And so when I was looking at auto new leagues and trying to find who are some guys in that, that $3 range, less than $3, you might be able to get for a buck in a draft. The infielder that came up for me was Rowdy Tellez. I'm not the first person to mention this, but go look at his baseball savant page and his stat cast sliders because Man, they are fun. 79th percentile exit velocity, 81st percentile hard hit rate, 73rd percentile ex-WOBA, 77th percentile ex-batting average. It just goes on and on. The guy smokes the ball when he hits it. His K rate, he's got an 83rd percentile K rate on StatCast. So he's not hes not a guy who strikes out a ton. He could walk a little more maybe, but it's pretty hard to complain about what, what he's doing. The big question with him is playing time. The Jays are going to do with a particularly crowded lineup these days is yet to be seen. But for less than three bucks, a guy that you might be able to keep next year at five bucks once that playing time question is off the table, pretty excited about him. Yeah, I really like Telez. I think that's a great pick. I'm kind of annoyed that that Randall Grichik might eat up playtime from Rowdy Telez, and I, I know there's a lot of power there, but Telez I feel like has just as much power as Randall Grichik, and I, I know it could turn into a platoon. But my issue with platoons in the MLB is teams just seem to rush into them too quickly, and it's like, all right, well this guy just went over six against a, against lefties with four strikeouts, so he can never face them again for the rest of his career. And I just I can't stand that. I'd like to see them. Say, all right, you know what, Telez, we're clearly in it to win it this year. We we brought in Semyon on the one-year deal. We brought in Kirby Yates. Like, we're clearly trying to win absolutely right now. So if Telez is the right man for that job, no platoon, get him out there and play and chat. Something I'm pretty excited about is the fact that he's going to be playing in Dunedin. Is that how it's pronounced? I'm not actually sure how it's pronounced, but it's supposed <laughs> to be a pretty good hitter's park, yes, right? Yes, So this is from Derek Cardi on Twitter. He was seeing how Dunedin, 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 Santander, whatever, compares physically (laughs) to other MLB parks. Fence distance is the sixth shortest in MLB. The fence height is the 15th shortest in MLB. The batter's eye, what they're looking at, is kind of a solid black wall, so they'll be able to pick up on the ball out of the pitcher's hand a little bit easier, just making it that much easy for this breakout of Rowdy Tellez to continue. So I love that pick. I think if he performs the way that I think he can perform, the platoon won't be an issue. But we will find out. So those are our infield picks, Brendan Rogers and Rowdy Telez. Let's leave the dirt, go out to the grass. Who do you have in the outfield that you can grab late and keep? This is a guy that I've loved for quite some time here. Sam Hilliard, another Rocky. It's we've got a theme here, Chad, where I just like become a fan of a team. I become a Fairweather fan. Last week it was the Astros. This week it's the Rockies. But fortunately, this is my last Rocky. Tune in next week to find out what team Pete likes now. <laughs> uh, don't listen, Red Sox. I, I love the Red Sox. I love you. Don't worry. But Hilliard, I, I really like. He's going to be the Rockies starting center fielder. You might have to fight off a platoon situation, though, like I said, depending on where Garrett Hampson fits in. Fortunately, Hampson's pretty versatile on the field. So if Hilliard plays well, he's going to play. 98th percentile in sprint speed in 2020. 93rd in 2019. The dude is fast. Three stolen bases and just 105 at-bats last year. That included six homers. That's a pretty good pace. I am not a mathematician, so I'm not going to do the math for you. But three stolen bases, six homers, and 105 at-bats, that's not bad for a guy who's going to be playing in cores this year. He is older. He's 27 years old. I'm going to continue to do this. This is just going to be my thing. I'm going to compare guys' ages to Carlos Correa, and this man is older than Carlos Correa. And he's definitely not the same level of pedigree as my last pick, Brennan Rogers. Brennan Rogers has been a top 25 prospect on Baseball America, 2017, 2018, 2019 at least. I think he was going into 2020 as well. Whatever, that doesn't matter. We're, we're talking Hilliard, but he does offer more speed. And like Rogers, he plays in cores. 
The thing with Hilliard, though, is that his strikeout numbers so far in the MLB are consistent with the minors, whereas with Rodgers, it looks like a little bit of an outlier. He's he struck out 28% of the time in minor league baseball throughout his career there. That's a lot of experience in minor league baseball, being 27 years old. So while the K's and age are not too enticing, and I've probably turned a lot of our listeners off to Sam Hilliard, they're like, wait, did he choose Sam Hilliard, or is he telling us to push him down even further? Here are three separate seasons he's had in the minors. In 2016, in A-ball, 17 homers, 30 steals. High A, the next year in 2017, 21 homers, 37 stolen bases. And then in AAA, if you're saying, well, that's low A, who, who cares? In AAA in 2019, is that recent and high enough for you guys? 35 homers, 29 doubles in 22 stolen bases. He had over 100 RBI. Now, look, that's just AAA, but he's another player who has had inconsistent playing time. So I'm tempted to try to just write off this horrible, actually, I shouldn't even say horrible, but lackluster MLB performance thus far. And it looks like he may finally have an opportunity to have every day at bats. The power speed combo and the free price, why not? And add in cores. So for what it's worth, he does have two stolen bases, I think, already this spring as well. So this is a guy that will run. So he's had such an up and down two years. And I, for me, I feel like I missed the boat on him in 2019. And then last year, two auto new teams I picked up that other owners had, had drafted had Hilliard on it. And so I started looking into him just before sort of the shortened season last year started and thought, huh, I'm pretty glad I got this guy. I missed the boat on him, but it, he, he's going to be useful. And he was the opposite of useful. <laughs> he was really bad. Did pitchers just adjust to him? I mean, are we hitting a point now where it's like he had his breakout, pitchers adjusted, the league's caught up, and now we should be moving on? Honestly, I, I don't think so. If you look at how frequently he was seeing fastballs, breaking balls, and off-speed pitches, nothing really changed. You know, I'm not sure pitch by pitch in the sequence approach to him if that changed all that much. But honestly, his quote-unquote breakout to me wasn't significant enough for pitchers to be like, oh, we got to get on to this guy. We got to make some sort of adjustment. For players like Hilliard, who have this wildly inconsistent opportunity, which seems like every young player is for the Rockies, and sometimes that's on them because of frequent injuries, like players like David Dahl and Brendan Rogers, or it's a guy like Hilliard who just kept getting blocked by who knows who. But I give mulligans to those guys. I want to I want to see them get a nice run, get a nice opportunity, because if pitchers adjusted, well, let's see if Hilliard can adjust back and get something going here. So Leody Tavares, who I actually really like, leading off for the Rangers, quality, should be a quality player, was a high prospect within their system. He's going like, I don't know, I should look it up, but like 200 picks higher than Sam Hilliard here when Hilliard could just as easily have the same amount of plate appearances at the end of the year. He's arguably just as fast, right? 98th percentile last year, 96th the year before. And he actually offers a little bit of power, which Tavares doesn't give you. Now, I, d I don't really like comparing the two because I actually kind of like them both. But when you look at the difference in picks, I think Hilliard's a pretty solid pick. And we're talking keeper leagues. He's old for a prospect, but he's not old. He could be a pretty quality player. Yeah, Hilliard's going. He's the 332nd player off the board, although his average draft position is actually closer to 370. It's 365.9. Leodi is going just inside the top 200 players off the board. 199th player off the board on average with an ADP of 201.6. In a 12-teamer, you're talking 10 rounds later. You can pick up Hilliard and there's nothing wrong with getting both of them, but I, cause I do, I I'm with you. I like them both, but man, that is a big, big price difference. Yeah, it is. And then in auto new leagues, the last 10 pickups on Hilliard have been a dollar 50. He is a guy that you can get for a buck or two at the end of drafts. 
Now, that may be influenced by some pickups in season, things like that, because I don't know, he may have been kept in a lot of leagues, which may mean his last 10 are not new auctions, but he's going pretty cheap right now in those leagues. And so whether you're you're drafting him at 320, 325, or picking him up at a buck or two in an auto new league, he is absolutely the kind of guy who could be you know, in a, in a four in a five outfielder league, he could be your fourth or fifth outfielder next year at a at a really nice low price. In those five by five leagues, he brings you the the steals. Even in out of new leagues, where where most out of new leagues are not five by five and don't value steals as highly, he does enough of the other stuff. He hits the ball well. He hits the ball hard. He hits for enough power. He is still a valuable piece there, even when the steals are sort of not adding the the value they do in your your typical five by five. The other guy that I like late in auto new auctions in the outfield is Austin Hayes. Uh, Austin Hayes is going for $2.50 over his last 10 pickups in auto new. You take a look at his 2020 season. It doesn't look great. If you cut it off on August 7th and look at only August 7th through the end of the season. August 7th sounds late, but the season started like July 28th or something. So I'm only cutting off about 10 days here. You cut off those first 10 days, he had a 145 WRC+. He was 45% better than the average hitter. Now, he had some time off for injury. It's not a huge sample size. The guy can hit. He is likely to be leading off in Baltimore. While Baltimore is not a great lineup, leading off in a lineup is still good. <laughs> it still puts him in a position. In 5 by 5 it puts him in a position to get on base a lot and to score a lot of runs. In auto new, especially in points leagues where every plate appearance is valuable, he's going to build up some extra plate appearances. That leadoff spot is really valuable in Fangraph's points and Sabre points leagues. And he's basically free. You can just pick him up late, drop him into your lineup. He His price, I think, is being suppressed a little bit right now because officially he is in a playing time battle with Cedric Mullins in Baltimore. I don't think that is a real playing time battle. I could be wrong. But every once in a while you hear about these like, oh, this guy's competing for a job. And you're like, no, he's not. They've decided. They're just not telling everyone. They're making him work for it. They want him to earn it. And I think that's sort of what's going on here. I think Hayes is going to be their everyday leadoff guy. And that's a great park to hit in. It's a good enough lineup that he should be at the front of it pretty well protected and get, get some opportunities to get driven in. I'm super excited about what he does. And, and as a late pickup, uh, you can't do it. No, I love better. that pick. I mean, like you said, hitting leadoff for anybody, even if it's the Pirates, I'll take that. Hayes is a guy who hits a lot of ground balls. He rarely strikes out, rarely whiffs, and he's fast. And so what does that all spell but a decent floor for batting average, which is one of those five categories that I think gets forgotten about the most. Like we spend so much time and energy looking at stolen bases and, you know, obviously the home runs, runs, and RBI. But batting average, it continues to get swept under the rug. And I think he actually provides a pretty safe floor for that. Yeah, his his projections for this season, all the projection systems are looking at about 120 games, 125 games. And they're projecting anywhere from 17 to 22 home runs, 8 to 10 steals, and then a batting average between 247 and 266. But in his major league career, he's got a 272 average over 272 plate appearances. That's very... Very nice combination of numbers there. He's got he's running like a 311 Babbitt, which is nothing special, especially given, like you said, his speed and his ability to to make solid contact. I think that those projections on his batting average are a little low. I think you're right that that might, you know, that 260 sounds more like a floor than a projection to me. 
He could easily match the 272 for his career, and he could easily run a high BAPIP for a year and put up like a 300 average. Yeah, I, I'm very surprised by those projections. I mean, you know, I trust the projection systems as much as the next guy, but to me, Hayes just projects as a player with a pretty safe batting average floor, particularly in that park. Maybe they're expecting because of, well, no, they're not even projecting that much of volume. So I am surprised by that low batting average. So there you go. Two outfielders you can pick up late and cheap who may be valuable for you, not just in 2021, but 2022, Sam Hilliard and Austin Hayes. We've covered the infield. We covered the outfield. Let's let's hop to the mound and we'll start where teams start with their starting pitchers. Who's your starting pitcher you can grab late? Okay, so this is especially difficult, right? Because there's been a premium put on starting pitcher the last few years and rightfully so, which means a lot of starting pitchers who may have been going post, you know, 300 in the past are now going in the top 300, which makes the, the options that much more limited. That's my way of dancing around the fact that I chose Luke Weaver, who's going ADP 373 right now. Now, I do kind of like Luke Weaver. He had a lot of pedigree coming up, and he kind of broke out in 2019 before he dealt with what I want to say was a forearm injury. His curveball is terrible. Okay, in 2018, these are his expected batting averages on his curveball the last three years. 2018, it was 308. 2019, 358. And in 2020, he only threw it 67 times. It was 412. It's a terrible pitch. The good thing is he knows that. And and towards the end of the year, he completely abandoned it. And he's basically admitted as much. And so he went basically to a fastball changeup combination, which is great, but not for a starting pitcher. Um, and it showed. The problem is he, he couldn't get through the second time through the order, the third time through the order. His ERA ballooned in 2020. The first time through the order, the ERA was 4.38, which isn't great. That's not what you want. Second time through, that that ballooned up to 5.96. And then the third time through, which was just 4.2 innings pitched, it was 21. <laughs> so he, he was not fooling hitters as he progressed through lineups. But he was interviewed about it during spring training, You know what, what his approach is going to be and, and how he hopes to adjust after having such a tough season. And he acknowledged the importance of getting his slider back. So he's been looking at a lot of film of Jacob deGrom, of Marcus Stroman, were two names that he threw out there as guys who he's looking at their deliveries, trying to pick up on, on getting his slider back, which he kind of credits with having such a strong first half of 2019 before he got hurt. He's quoted saying, it's a monumental pitch. In 2019, I had that. I had that consistently. I felt confident throwing that for strikes. For me, it was just easier to pitch. It opens up the fastball and change up. It gives you more breathing room, a little bit more options. I'm just trying to get that back. So they've been spending time with him, working on his mechanics, trying to figure out how to get that slider back and throw it for strikes and have that third offering to keep hitters off balance, keep them guessing, and and allow him to go deeper into games, which is going to be so important this year for all starting pitchers in fantasy obviously as well for Luke Weaver, if you're, you're taking him this late and hoping to get anything out of him. You touched on sort of my big concern with him, which is his barrel rate is just off the charts. His, his stack cast sliders look like what you want out of a power hitter, not what you want out of a pitcher. Do you think is that slider, is that the key to him reining that in? I don't know. He definitely seems to think so though. Like anything else, you could look at a pitch in a vacuum and be like, this isn't a good pitch, but there's so much that goes into that. Like, is his fastball going to be that much better when he adds in the slider? His sequencing is is mixed up a little bit. He's keeping batters a little bit more off balance. I think absolutely. I think that goes with anything. Like, you know, it's I'm a Red Sox fan, so this sticks out to me, but I was worried when Chris Sale started to lose his velocity before we knew that he had the elbow injury because the separation and velocity between his fastball and that devastating slider is, is a huge advantage for him. And I was worried, you know, is he going to be able to keep hitters off balance? Because individually, that slider is a tremendous pitch. 
but it's that much better when there's a fastball cooking in at a hundred miles an hour or whatever it might be. Not that Weaver necessarily has that kind of velocity or, or I'm not trying to compare him to Chris Sale, but just the idea of introducing a new pitcher, getting a pitch back is so important for starting pitchers. And I think it would help his other pitches be more effective. That makes a lot of sense. And I, I like hearing that he's aware of it. I think one of the things that is underrated in evaluating pitchers in and hitters for that matter is how aware are they of the problem and how willing are they to address it? And I think you know, it, it reminds me of a few years ago when all the launch angle stuff was starting to pick up. You had a bunch of hitters that were like, yeah, this is really interesting. I'm going to go see what I can do about this. And you had a bunch of hitters who were like, you just hit the ball and you swing hard and you want line drives. And it was like, okay, you don't get it. You're missing it. And it was one of the things that I, that stood out to me was like, do I want this hitter? Or do I not want this hitter? Well, this guy is saying all the right things. He's looking at the right things. And I think the fact that Weaver's aware that he lost his slider, that a slider is key. That's a really, really good sign. It doesn't mean he can get it back, and it doesn't mean he's going to be a good pitcher, but at least he's focused on the right stuff. We saw something similar this offseason or early in spring training with Chris Paddock, who came in talking about how someone had pointed out to him that his spin rate was down, and he was trying to figure out what was going on with that. And it's like, can he get it back? I have no idea. But the fact that he is identifying a potential cause that makes sense and trying to address it is is interesting and weaver like i said he's going almost at 400 in in drafts his auto new last 10 auctions two dollars and 70 cents so yeah you can pick him up late and find out whether he finds that slider right and the numbers on his fastball and change up they're actually the actual numbers were worse than the expected results. So I, I think there's still room for him to improve with those two pitches. So this spring, I'm I'm looking and seeing, is Luke Weaver throwing a slider? Is it effective? I didn't watch his first appearance, but he did throw two scoreless innings. It started out with a pair of hits, and it looked like it was going to be another ugly outing for Weaver. But he turned it around, drew the double play, two scoreless innings. So watch out for that slider this spring. If it's there at this price, absolutely why not? What other starting pitchers are going there? So... The, the starting pitcher I want to talk a little bit about, so I said Weaver is going for 270 over his last 10 auto new auctions. This guy's going for 280, so just about the same price. He is effectively the opposite of Luke Weaver. So when we talked about Luke Weaver's stack cast sliders looking like a power hitter, Ryan Yarborough limits hard contact about as well as anybody. In 2020, he had 99th percentile exit velocity and hard hit rates as a pitcher. He limits walks. The downside with him and the reason he's relatively low cost is that the Ks aren't very pretty. He's down around seven strikeouts per nine, which isn't bad. But from a fantasy perspective, especially in auto new leagues where if you're in Fangraphs points leagues or Sabre points leagues, strikeouts just matter a lot. Yarbrough is probably a little bit better in Sabre points leagues where the hits don't hurt as much and he doesn't give up a lot of home runs. He doesn't give up a lot of walks and those are what kill you there. But he makes up for the lack of Ks because he just doesn't get hit hard at all. And if you don't give up a lot of hits, you don't give up a lot of home runs, you have a lot of room to work in auto new leagues and, and just rack up innings. I also think that there's still this sense that he's a follower because he was their follower for a little while. He's not anymore. He's been back to starting. And so I think at this point, I'm assuming he is going to start when he starts. He's not going to be sort of the bulk follower guy no, he is not going to chew up K's for you, but he's he's going to eat some innings and he's going to avoid hard contact. You know, it, it reminds me a little bit of a Marco Gonzalez or a Kyle Hendricks, guys who are going a lot earlier, but have the same sort of issue where they're not as exciting. 
hate to call Marco Gonzalez very boring, but those guys who don't strike guys out are always a little bit boring to fantasy managers. And Yarbrough falls into that, but man, he really controls contact. He doesn't walk a lot of guys and it's a super interesting profile for late in your drafts or your auctions. Yeah, I like Yarbrough a lot. You know, he's he's got that great change up. It's been a quality pitch. It had a pitch value of 11.1 back in 2019. It was one of the better change ups in baseball. And I think when you have a pitch that you can go to like that, and now the Rays kind of trust him, he pitches in a great park. He's a guy who, like you said, he's not the follower anymore. He's not an opener. He's just a starting pitcher. who I think they feel pretty comfortable with rolling out there. And the other thing, Chad, is like, you know, we want the strikeouts. I agree with that. Obviously, it's one of the categories. At the same time, because he limits hard contact and because he, he kind of pitches to contact, he can kind of keep those pitch counts down and actually allow him to work deeper into games. Whereas I think we're going to see a lot of starters this year just go the five innings, five and a third, five and two thirds. Yarborough should be a guy that he kind of profiles as a guy that can go the six to seven innings pitched. Yeah, it's a really good point. And we'll have to see if he can he can do that. I think his his track record on that is a little bit limited because he was that follower for so long. But you're right. Low Ks, low walks, limited hard contact should be the kind of profile you're looking at for a guy who can regularly go six or even seven innings. So for for $2.80 in auto new auctions, that's a pretty nice value. And if he does start to put up more innings, and who knows, maybe the Ks start to pick up. There's a lot of upside there, and the floor is very, very high at that price. So we've gone through our starting pitchers. Let's look at the bullpens. Who do you have? coming out of the pen late naturally the pick for this is going to be a guy who is not a closer because all of those guys are going before pick 300 for the most part somebody who i think instead could have an opportunity to close so i chose yimi garcia he's adp 362 at the moment since february 1st on nfbc marlins beat writer craig mish he's of the miami herald he believes that anthony bass is quote the very likely closer and even if that's true to start the year i'm not so sure that's going to last so garcia last year you know, this is just 15 innings pitched, but it was a 1.66 FIP, 3.20 XFIP, uh, which accounts more for home runs. Bass, 3.62 FIP, 4.33 XFIP, and that was 25.2 innings pitched. So again, we're talking a very small sample size, but they have a similar swing strike rate. Bass's though, 22% K percentage last year is a little bit off mark because he's 19% for his career. Garcia had a 32% K rate last year and a 26% K rate for his career. So, I, I mean, there's more strikeout potential. I think he, he limits guys getting on base a little bit better than Bass. It's just the sample size. Is he going to be able to prove it this year over a longer stretch, or is this sort of a blip in the radar? The Marlins may stink, and so we look at the closer and do a little bit of a who cares, but they were a playoff team last year, and saves are tough. You can't ignore someone with this kind of upside for not only saves, but strikeouts as well. Bass, not that much more proven of a closer than Garcia. So it's easy to say, like, well, Garcia has not proven it was just 15 innings pitched, but neither is the other guy. So is it that much of a stretch to think that he could steal that role? He increased his slider usage, fewer whiffs with it. The overall results were obviously still very good. So there was a tangible adjustment that we saw in 2020 in this very small breakout. The whip's been under one each of the last two seasons. I'm just in on Yimi Garcia. I'll, I'll roll the dice there. So he is, you know, for a guy who sort of broke out last year, He's 30. Uh, He'll turn 31 in August or sort of the middle of the season. 0.60 ERA backed up by a 1.66 FIP last year is is hard to ignore. Uh, It's just so much better than the rest of his career. I mean, do you you have confidence that this is a legitimate age 30 breakout, something changed that he can continue? 
Not necessarily. No, I, I definitely wouldn't say I'm confident. What I would say is given the position, like if this was a starting pitcher, if this was a first baseman or something, I'd be like, ah, yeah, I'm out on that. That's too small of a sample. But with relievers, I mean, a lot of the best relievers in baseball, even today, were guys who broke out super late, whether it be Liam Hendricks or Nick Anderson, Blake Trinan, Adam Ottavino. These are all guys who they really didn't turn into like monumental studs until much later in their career. So I think with relievers, they can kind of make that adjustment. In this case with Garcia, maybe it's the increased slider usage where they go from, you know, this under the radar, whatever reliever to, wow, that's a guy who can come in and get three outs. Yeah, Garcia right now going for $4.10 over his last 10 auto new auctions. So a little bit more expensive, but still a pretty good deal. And and I think he is, you're right, a guy who I think could, could establish himself as the closer. I don't have a lot of faith in Bass to keep that job. I think Garcia is probably next in line. And when you're looking this late in drafts or this late in auctions at relievers, that's what you're looking for, right? Who is the guy who's next in line? Who's the guy who can accrue some stats for you, even if they're not closing games? And Garcia seems like a pretty good fit for that. My pick here is similar. Honestly, I, I probably like Garcia more than my pick here. But going for $2.90 in auto new auctions right now is Josh Stalmont with the Royals. He is not the closer. He seems to be second in line between Holland going into the season. I am not a big believer in Holland given his track record. And so I think that there will be opportunities in Kansas City. Stallman is a guy I'm picking mostly because he's second in line more than anything else. If you look at his numbers, he strikes out plenty of guys. He had almost 13 strikeouts per nine last year. And that really matches what he was doing in AAA. He also walks a lot of guys. He had 5.61 walks per nine last year, which closers can often get away with if they limit hard contact. You strike out a lot of guys, you can live with the walks if you limit hard contact. He didn't really do that last year. His average exit velocity last year was 94.4. His hard hit rate last year was 50%. He gets tagged. In order for him to really take that job and run with it, he has to keep up the strikeouts He's got to ideally lower the walks, although I can live with the walks, but he's got to limit that hard contact. Last year, he had only a 28.6% ground ball rate with a 6.9% home run per fly ball rate. And given how hard he gets hit and how many balls get put in the air, that home run per fly ball rate is probably going to go up. And when it does, it could impact him a lot. So he had a 2.45 ERA last year, but a 3.54 FIP, which is still fine. His XFIP, XFIP, basically what it's doing is it's taking your FIP and saying, what if you just had a league average home run per fly ball rate instead of whatever you posted? Well, if he had a league average home run per fly ball rate, XFIP is at 4.71. There is a lot of risk, I think, for him to have an above league average home run per fly ball rate, given that level of hard contact. So what I'm looking for from him is, is he able to control that contact a little bit more? Guys are going to put the ball in play. Are they going to put it in play with a little bit less emphasis than they did last year? If he starts to show that, then I think he's in a good position to take over that role in Kansas City. I think he is, he's 27, so not super young, but young enough that you could stall him as your closer and he could be there for a little while for KC. And so I'm, I'm intrigued by the upside here. He is not a guy. I am jumping at late in drafts in redraft because in redraft, I just don't 
I think there's too much risk in the profile and the upside isn't there because what do you, you know, half a season of a closer is, is something, but you can pick that up on the wire. Usually I'm intrigued by him in keepers and in auto new because in auto new leagues where closers who rack up a lot of K's and a lot of saves can go for 10, 12, 15 bucks in those points leagues, there's a $12 reliever in Josh Stallmont, if he can get that job and if he can start to control the hard contact a little bit. And so I'm buying that upside and that long-term potential. I'll also move on quickly. If we're coming up on the end of April into May and he's just getting tagged all over the park, I'll move on. Yeah, it's it's low risk, potential high reward. I like Stallmont. I look at that Royals bullpen and if Greg Holland falters, I'm just not convinced he's the next man up. Last year, it looks like Scott Barlow was. I can't remember how that unfolded, but Barlow did get two saves last year where Stallmont ended up with none. That doesn't mean that would stick. But you look at who else is back with the Royals here. Mr. Wade Davis, they brought the whole party back. I have no expectations for Wade Davis, but if the Royals were willing to give this job back to Greg Holland back when his velocity was way down and it looked like his career was over, maybe they turned to Wade Davis as well if things go south for Holland. But nevertheless, I mean, it's not like if you take Stom on, there's a lot of upside if he gets that role. If he doesn't, like you said, you drop him and move on. For sure. So there you are. You've got gone through two infielders, two outfielders, two starters, two relievers that you can pick up late in drafts, late in auctions, cheap and out of new. And may turn into keepers for you. Maybe guys who not only help you this year, but help you into the future as well. It is time for us to go to our one regular segment, the auto new question of the day. What do you got for me this week, Pete? Well, Chad, I took a look at your team to come up with the question today. Like we've said a million times, Chad and I are in the same auto new league. We've got our auction coming up on the 21st, I believe. I looked at Chad's team and I noticed he's now almost in a kind of similar situation to me. Now, I've got Mike Clevenger, who in terms of talent is definitely the best pitcher on my team, but I'm not going to have him this year. And it looks like Chad has also lost Framber Valdez potentially for the year, if not for a very, very long time. Now, Mike Clevenger is cheap. I want to say he's like 13 bucks or something like that. Valdez for, for Chad is 7 So I'm just curious, Chad, you know, what is your approach here? I think you're obviously in contention to be winning it. I think my team might be a little bit far off, so we could have certainly different approaches. Nevertheless, Valdez, one of the premier ground ball inducing pitchers in baseball, showed real promise last year. He's only seven bucks. Is this just a you just hold on and wait till next year or are you looking to make some kind of move? It's a really good question. We're in sort of a weird time with this league because we're in between the cut deadline and the draft. If this were before the cut deadline, I'd have a really tough choice on my hands and have to figure out what I was going to do. If it were after the draft, I wouldn't have a lot of choices either. But right now I've got to figure out how am I going to build around the fact that Maybe not my ace. We've got Brandon Woodruff on that team, but I, that team is built with, I mean, Woodruff has established himself perhaps as an ace, but that team was built not to have a bunch of aces, but to have a bunch of that sort of next tier of guys. And so I've got Herman Marquez, Hyunjin Ryu, Zach Wheeler, Brandon Woodruff, and then Framber Valdez was the fifth, along with Sean Manaya and Eliezer Hernandez. I, I'm now missing the fifth guy I was going to count on. And so I've got to figure out what I'm going to do in the auction. That's my first priority right now, because the reality is, in auto new, I can't cut Framber right now anyways. There's no cuts allowed between the cut deadline and the auction. So I'm stuck with him through the auction. I think he's probably a stash for me. I, I'll say this. I don't think he's a cut at $7. And I think that's the big question is, would you get rid of him? And the 
what this comes down to, first of all, like, let's see how long he's out. We still have some some time to find out. I also expect that when the Odorizzi contract becomes official, they'll move Framber to the 60-day. And once he's on the 60-day IL, he no longer takes up a roster spot, not our new. Still have to pay his salary, still eating at my $400 budget, but I get that roster spot back and I can use it for someone else. That helps a lot because it gives me a little bit more flexibility. I basically am going to treat him like a top prospect, right? And and just like a, like I've got George Kirby on this team at $4. George Kirby, maybe not as good a prospect as Framber Valdez would be at this point, given Framber's, you know, major league track record of actual success that no prospect has. Another guy who he's on my team, he's four bucks. I have no expectation of production from him this year. He's there because I think next year he could be really valuable or because he could be useful in a trade if I'm buying come deadline time. And that's basically what I'm going to be looking at with Framber is I'm going to sit on him. I'll wait and see how my season is going if things are going well and if I'm competing and if I feel the need to make a trade, he'll be on my trade block and he'll be a guy that I'm willing to dangle for somebody who can help me win today. He strikes me as the kind of guy that it's a June-ish. Somebody who thinks they're out of it should be very happy to trade an overpriced ace that they are not willing to keep for Framber Valdez. And I'll probably look to do a deal like that with him. But if it doesn't come together, then I'll keep him and I'll have him for $9 next year. And I'll be very happy to have him for $9 next year. I think my willingness to trade him will be higher than it might be with, for example, Clevenger, because Clevenger's got a little bit more of a track record. I think he's got a little bit higher of a ceiling. I'm a, I'm a bigger Clevenger fan long-term than I am Framber. I think, you know, you look at at Valdez and he's got this really great 2020 in a shortened season and some promising stuff showing up in 2018 and 2019. And that track record combined is, it's enough that I'm going to be more willing to trade him than I would be if, like, let's say he had gone through this year and pitched this year the way he did in 2020. 2021 looks just like 2020, except he does it over 150 innings. We're going into 2022 and he gets hurt. Then I'm not $9. I'm like, no way. This guy is an ace. I am not touching him. He's just going to sit here and he'll wait on my roster until he can help me again. There's still some question marks with Valdez, I think, compared to what, what he could be. I have a lot of confidence in him. I was drafting him very high this year before I had to stop drafting him this year. And so I've got him on, I want to say he's on four of my six out of new teams. It's a it's a problem for me that I'm not going to have him this year. So this isn't to say I think he's he's bad or anything like that. I just think that given his limited track record, if I can spin him off for something that can really help me this year, I'm probably going to end up doing that. I just don't know yet. I want to see see how the season goes and see what kind of offers get made and stuff like that. Yeah, that's a that's a fair analysis. I, I think I'd be in the same boat as you, especially because you, your team, like I said, is, is much more, it looks like it, it could really compete this year because um, it, unlike mine, not only does it have an offense, it actually has a rotation, even without Valdez. For me, I don't see a lot of situations where I, I trade away a $14 Mike Clevenger, even if next year he's going to be $16 coming off of Tommy John surgery, it looks like he's got a full timetable to recover, make his way back. And, and I'm with you 100% on the fact that he's got a much higher ceiling, I think, than Valdez. Valdez is a pitch to contact, induce the ground balls, whereas Clevenger can strike you out you know, six times before you blink. So I think I'm going to hold on tight 
to Clevenger, but I was just curious what what your move there was with Valdez, and that totally makes sense. He is going to be kind of, it's almost like a blessing in disguise, right? Where if he wasn't hurt, and I'm not saying I'm, I'm happy he's hurt. That's obviously not what we're saying. But if he wasn't, you know, you're just riding with him because you're, you're not going to, why would you trade away a healthy $7 for Amber Valdez? But, you know, it could go south for him. Maybe last year's breakout was a little bit above his head. Whereas now it's like in the back of everybody's mind, it's like, oh, that was that guy, that prospect for Houston who was really, really good and began to break out in 2020. He's only seven bucks. And here's this player that maybe I don't want to hold on to. And I could get him from Chad for this. So it's it's nice that like, you know, Valdez's value in a long-term league like this doesn't really change all that much. And now you can kind of use him as a chip. Yeah, I think that's the way I'm trying to look at it. Um, I obviously would love to have him in the rotation, but I think that's right. I think it's a his value sort of freezes where it is. It gives me a little bit of time to figure out what else my team needs. It's a it's a little bit of a mess for me in some of the auctions that I've already finished because where I've already finished auctions, I don't have the easy ability to replace him. In this league, I now have a difficult choice to make. Like, I've got to figure out, do I replace him at the expense of filling another gap I was going to fill? Like, how do I how do I structure my auction around that? And that's really where my, my focus is at the moment is, okay, I have one less pitcher than I thought I was going to have. How does that change my strategy? Because I can't cut him right now, I've got one less pitcher, but I still have that roster spot taken up, but I still have that $7 used. And so manipulating my roster around that to make it make sense is going to be a little bit more challenging than I had expected for the auction. But, you know, that's what happens when you auction at the end of March is you you end up with some of these guys that things are going to happen in spring training. So Yeah, it definitely adds a wrinkle. Yep. So thank you all for listening today to our late picks who could turn into keepers episode. We went through eight guys who you can get late and cheap and then Talked about how they they could have value for you, not just in 2021, but 2022. As a reminder, you can subscribe to the show anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, Google and Apple and Spotify and all those fun places. You can follow the show on Twitter at keep or cut. That's cut with a K. You can also follow us at Pete B Baseball at Chad Young. We love your questions. We'd love to hear from you. If there's stuff you want to hear us talk about on the show, let us know. We are up for ideas. Happy to answer some keeper questions for you. Whatever you want to do, we're, we're here to talk. So again, thanks for listening and we'll see you next week.